Hello, welcome back to Resurrections in Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano. And we are going to be covering a character that we haven't had a chance to cover so in a little while because, well, he was dead. And we are talking, of course, about Adam Warlock and the Warlock Rebirth miniseries that just recently ended. And if I'm doing Warlock, well, you know, I got my Warlock guy, which means John Wilson is back. Hey, John. Which is appropriate because I am also dead. Hello, everybody. Yes. Wait, what? I don't know. No one tells it me anything. At the time. You got you to stay on the book faces and the X-Twitters to find out these things. Uh, I think I was on the Twitter X. That's the problem. That's Marvel, so it's X-Twitter. I spent too much time with burgers. That was the problem. <laughs> but yes, we are here to talk about the recent Warlock Rebirth miniseries, which takes place at some point during the Infinity Watch run. At some point when we're covering Infinity Watch, we might have to, we might have to try and figure out where the hell this could take place. Honestly, between any two issues where there's not stuff happening, Probably. this could be going on. I mean, they do have Moondragon and uh, Drax specifically off on a mission. That could be a reference to a story, but probably they just didn't want to have so many characters in the story. Yeah, and they already have an extra one. Who? I mean, right, as we already have Genis. Yeah, we're going to have Genis Vell in this. Yeah. Give me a second, everybody. Let's drop in a quick uh, synopsis of this miniseries, and then John and I will be right back. Warlock Rebirth. Writer, Ron Mars. Pencils, Ron Lim. Inker, Don Ho. Colors, Romulo Fajardo, Jr. Letters, Joe Sabino of Virtual Calligraphy. Editor, Darren Shan with Kat Gregorowitz. Cover art by Ron Lim, Don Ho, and Romulo Fajardo, Jr. Variant covers by, and there are many, Alex Ross, Ron Lim, Don Ho, and Romulo Fajardo, Jr. Alan Davis and Nolan Woodard. Jim Chung and J. David Ramos, Lucas Wieneck, Phil Noto, Gil Kane, Mike Hawthorne, Dan Jurgens. This miniseries had cover dates from June 2023 to October 2023 and was on sale from April 2023 to August 2023 with a cover price of $3.99. This story takes place sometime during the events of Warlock and the Infinity Watch, which ran from December 1991 to May 1995. Issue 1, Better Half. Genisvel, the son of the Marvel Captain Marvel, lands on Monster Isle. After a rough encounter or two with some of the larger residents, he is found by Gamora and Pip. Genis is on Earth due to advice he received from the Silver Surfer. Wanting to know more about his father, the Surfer suggested he visit Earth, and, for some reason, Adam Warlock is his first stop. The pair take Genis to see Adam, but he appears injured and or shocked due to the appearance of a cocoon like the one he usually regenerates in. The cocoon opens and we are introduced to Eve Warlock. She zaps Adam and takes out Gamora, Pip, and Genis. She then takes a soul gem from Adam and teleports away. Issue 2, Mindscape. Adam wakes up, very confused, and what we will later see is Soul World. In the real world, Gamora, Pip, and Genis are trying to figure out what to do with his comatose body and end up taking him to Doctor Strange. Meanwhile, Eve goes to her creator, the High Evolutionary, and is given a new costume and sets out into the universe. Back at the Sanctum Sanctorum, Doctor Strange has found that Adam's soul is gone and follows. He finds Adam in Soul World and tries to convince him to return. 
Adam does not want to, and when Strange objects, the denizens of Soul World come to his defense. Issue 3. Savior. We see a planet about to be destroyed from internal pressures. Just as two scientists are about to put their infant child into a small spaceship, Eve shows up and heals the planet. Back on Soul World, Doctor Strange is easily able to deal with the citizens and is able to convince Adam to return to reality. With the Soul Gem gone, part of him is missing, and he needs to get it back from Eve. But he's going to do it alone. Except for Pip, because he is the only teleporter. They find Eve on a remote planet, and talking quickly gives way to fighting, and ends with the two warlocks vanishing. Issue 4, Soulmates. After a quick interlude of Spider-Man and Daredevil seeing something is going on at Doctor Strange's and realizing that it is probably a good idea to not get involved, we see that inside, Pip has teleported back to let everyone there know what is going on. Not that he knows. Meanwhile, Adam and Eve are in Soul World and continue their fight until Eve wins, draining much of Adam's life and power and leaving him crucified. Until Gamora and Pip find him a few days later. He is ready to give up again, but this time, Gamora convinces him to fight. He finds Eve in space near Counter-Earth, and the fight continues again. This time, he absorbs her blasts to power himself back up and takes her out. He reclaims his soul gem, but is shot in the back by the High Evolutionary. Issue 5, Theory of Evolution In the High Evolutionary's base, he uses his machines to drain Adam's power and life into Eve and tells her to take the soul gem. This time, she hesitates, and for that, the Evolutionary de decides to destroy her. During the fight, Adam revives and assists Eve. She gives back the power she took from him, and rather than fight the two of them, the High Evolutionary teleports away. Eve is invited to stay with the Infinity Watch, but wants to hunt down the High Evolutionary. Back on Monster Isle, Janice decides to stick around for a while, until the Silver Surfer shows up, needing his help. To be continued in Silver Surfer Rebirth Legacy. Do you like the Transformers? Yes. Do you like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? <laughs> Do you like IDW Comics? And comic book podcasts? <laughs> then come check out Ninjas and Bots. Each week we look at an issue of Transformers. Or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from their IDW Comics incarnation. We drop episodes every Saturday morning. Just like the cartoons we loved as a kid. The show can be found on your favorite podcatcher and at johnreadscomics.com. See you then. And we are back. Uh, back during the time when Monster Isle actually appeared more than once a month. Or once a year, I should say, actually. Yeah, because it is appearing once a month here. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I get confused with time. But yeah, and this is technically a sequel to the Silver Surfer Rebirth Mini, which was done by Ron Mars and uh, Ron Lim. As it well. seems like only only through the fact that Janice Vell went from one story to the next story. Oh, yeah. But I mean, it, it, that, it does seem to be the main factor in the fact that he's part of that story, goes to this one, and then this story leads directly into the next Silver Surfer miniseries that they're doing. So he's making yeah, like a Janice Vell series of connected series. Exactly. I mean, they could collect all three of those miniseries if they wanted to in one big trade. It would make sense. Right. Because there's a through line through them all. But we're concentrating on this one for now. Right. 
So this takes place back during the Warlock and the Infinity Watch run, back when Warlock and the Infinity Watch, which in case anyone didn't realize yet, is Adam Warlock, Gamora, Pip the Troll, Drax, and Moondragon, with Thanos occasionally. And they were headquartered on Monster Island because, well, the Mole Man liked having tenants that were powerful. Yes, to protect his monsters, all of his pets. Yes. And speaking of which, we get some... uh, we got a couple of ones right here. We got a purple Godzilla in the beginning. He is cute. He is a little baby. He is the son of Godzilla. He is if Godzilla had not yet learned to stand upright. Yes. He is. Oh, what was Godzilla's kid name again? Um, I saw it, but I don't remember the kid's name. Yeah. As we're both looking it up really quickly. Yes. Manila. Okay. Yes. Oh, mini la. Goji ra, mini ra. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's a tiny ra. So that's mini la, and then there's Godzilla. Yeah. And then we get Goom. So I don't remember. I'm sure, I know Goom is from one of those Atlas monster books. Right. Let's, um, see. Let's see. I haven't read very many of those Atlas monster books. And the ones that like directly connect to the Marvel Universe are ones that I'll tell myself I'll read whenever they get to the point that they directly connect to the Marvel Universe. So I don't know if Goom has appeared in Marvel Comics before this, like, you know, in continuity Marvel Comics. I assume that she probably has. Yeah, Tales of Suspense 15. Okay. He's a Kirby monster. Originally from Planet X. Which, wasn't everyone from Planet X back then? I'm pretty sure Groot was originally too. Oh, no, Goob also comes back and fights the Hulk. Okay. Oh, and he also appears on Monster Island in an issue. I think it's all new X-Men. Because uh, it says here, Shadowcat and Magic went looking for a mutant girl named Bo. Are you sure this is Goom? Because uh, the Goom I'm looking at is large and orange and has more of like a, a mushroom-shaped head. Oh, that's what I'm looking at. Yeah, big, big red go- creature, Goom. And the one in the comic is a purple Godzilla-looking creature. Mm. Oh, wait. Just past the purple Godzilla. I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about the mom. Oh, no. I'm talking about... Oh, yeah. I was saying we also got Goom. Yes. I didn't flip enough pages. I'm saying, yes, of course. That is Goom. Hello, Goom. How are you? Because he so, said, I am Goom. Right. Whenever he said that, my brain said, I am Groot. Which, if they're both from Planet X, maybe they speak the same language. That's true. That's a common language. Well, as we know... Whenever you get the sci-fi, you know, in most like in, like in many sci-fi on every planet, every planet, everyone's the same. All one language, mm-hmm. all one religion, all the same thing. <laughs> Random tidbit on the Marvel Reading Order website: This issue is story number thirty-three thousand five hundred fifty-four. So, if you are reading all of the Marvel Universe stories that are not Golden Age books but main six one six books, this is the thirty-three and a half thousandth book. Oof. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot of stories before this one. So but, we're going to take a pause while y'all go read all of them. Yeah. <laughs> so. And then come back. Five minutes? Ten? Sounds good. It sounds good. We'll go wait yeah, five minutes. But I do love the fact that they put Goom in here. And since I guess Goom was able to talk or semi-intelligent, I do like the whole, <laughs> are you looking for a fight? And Goom just says, Yes. And then punches Janice halfway across the island and stomps on him. And calls him a runt, which is very puny god energy. 
I'm like, okay, I like this already. I'm amused. <laughs> yeah. This first few pages um, is a lot of JLI energy. You know, I am never coming to Earth again. Right. And I didn't realize at first who this was because I have not read any of that um, Genesville series, which was Peter David. Actually, this is what he was like before Peter David. Okay. And so I haven't seen him before. And uh, with the outfit and everything, I just didn't know who he was. And he started talking about his dad. And I was like, okay, who's his dad? Um, I thought maybe he was the son of Adam Warlock because he was coming here to find out about his dad. Like maybe hmm. there was some like twist that I didn't know about. But uh, but no, he is uh, Marvel's kid. Yeah, when he first appeared as Legacy, he uh, appeared first in the Silver Surfer Annual. Back when it was the annual thing was that they were trying to introduce as many new characters as possible mm -hmm. in that annual. And I think DC did it the same thing that year or the year before. So that's when you had a whole bunch of characters like the Battling Bantam and Executioner first appeared in X-Men mm -hmm. and things like that. And he appeared there and he got a six issue miniseries. I think it was just called Legacy. And I'm pretty sure if, um, it was either Ron Mars or Fabian Nicieza wrote it. And this is what he looked like then. He didn't have like the actual Captain Marvel type costume until that Peter, until the, uh, he showed up in Avengers Forever. And that led into the Peter David uh, ongoing series. But anyway, you're right. He's, yeah, he wants to learn about his dad, which is apparently why he had talked to Silver Surfer before. And I guess the Surfer suggested Warlock, because even though he didn't really know Warlock, Warlock, I mean, they never met, they only met once. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Warlock was busy dying at the time. Sadly. Hey, well, I guess, the, you know, he knew Thanos, so I don't know. I guess that's some connection. I mean, I will say that, yeah, the, the connection between Warlock and Captain Marvel is very slim. Well, we do get a whole, like, backstory on Adam Warlock because this definitely deals with concepts that, I don't know, I, I haven't read a lot of the later Adam Warlock stuff, but I assume that... There's not a lot of reason to frequently refer to his space Jesus high evolutionary days. I could be wrong. Maybe that comes up every other miniseries. But we get the him cocoon and the, the lunchbox helmet guy and Thanos and crucifixion and coming back and killing Thanos as a statue and Infinity Gauntlet and all those things um, just in a one-page recap of all of the Adam Warlock history so that whenever uh, we get to um, the, the main crux of the story, there's context. Yeah. Yeah. Because this story actually, because you're right, most Adam Warlock stuff, if you go back to that page, of, you know, like you said, the montage, most things about Adam Warlock kind of deal with the lower half of the page. Mm -hmm. the th you know, basically, the Starlin stuff on. They kind of not really pay attention too much to the earlier stuff, the Roy Thomas run, which we covered, or the Fantastic Four stuff, or Thor. But this story definitely more goes with the earlier stuff in quite a few ways. But yeah, so Pip and Gamora take him over to meet Adam, and Adam, of course, is beat up because we get our first, we get, there is a cocoon waiting and it's like <laughs> like pip's question this is not your cocoon it's like well no usually adam's inside the cocoon pip <laughs> and it's weird because he stumbles out of the cavern like he's been punched in the face and the gut a few times and he's trying to get away from somebody powerful 
But no, he's just really surprised. There's a cocoon in his room, and it wasn't there yesterday. And that's just a lot to take in. And he's yeah. having problems. Well, especially, I, maybe he just never saw Well, actually, yeah, he's never seen the cocoon from this end. He's usually inside <laughs> of it. He's like, that's what it looks like? Right? Ew. Must stumble and fall. Something is amiss. <laughs> it's very gross. How do you guys hang out with what? me after this? Why does it have those nodules going down the sides? Is it going to plug into something? Are there vines later? Does it grow legs? Why does it have the nodules? Nobody knows, Adam. It just always does. I don't understand, y'all. I don't have nodules. Do I? Can someone check? (laughs) Are they in that spot on my back that I can't reach? That's why I carry this feathery staff. It's for back scratching. Adam Astrax, he'll check for you. He's usually the last one to say not it. Right. But no, the cocoon pops open and Eve Warlock shows up. Yeah, um, that is a name that was chosen. Well, considering where Eve comes from, makes sense. Yeah, so High Evolutionary Dude, whom we read all about in the origins of the High Evolutionary back in that Evolutionary War episode, um, He's just a dude who grew up on Earth. So I guess if he's going to make an Adam Warlock, he's going to make an Eve Warlock. Although once she's a woman, is she in a Warlock anymore? And I will say this. But hearing about this miniseries before it came out, there were some questions about, like, well, what about the character of her? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you do have that character already, which basically, especially when Eve first shows up, for the most part, her looks very much like this. Mm-hmm. I think her hair is a little curlier, but otherwise that's it. Yeah, so her is out there being a functional female counterpart to Adam Warlock. But I will Which say is why I, I, came, I came away from the series thinking, okay, this feels just like somebody wants to use a character and needed to write gone an origin for her. Yeah. I mean, the question is, will we get more with Eve Warlock? Because here's the I thing. I don't know if we will, but I feel like this was all done so that we would. Mm. I mean, I have liked her when she's been used. It's just, it's not often. Right. You know, I think the most her was used was during Quasar's run when she was hanging out with him. Right. Which was back in the early 90s. Yeah. So who knows where she is? Exactly. But anyway, Eve shows up and zaps Adam. And basically is like, okay, uh, yeah, no, I'm here to replace you. I'm better. I'm new. You're dead. And takes out Gamora. So no, we, you know, no easy thing to do. Yeah, because Gamora can fight you, but she, this one has, you know, energy beings going for her, which she doesn't actually use. She just grabs Gamora's fist and throws her against the wall. But that is a cool looking of, panel. Yeah. I mean, That's it looks the like level of strength. Yeah, it's very effortless. It's just like, you know, toss. And basically just, you know, when Adam zaps her with the soul gem, does, she just zaps back, takes the soul gem off of him, and she's like, okay, that's mine now. I'm out. Right. So takes the soul gem off of Adam Warlock's head, which makes you wonder how the next issue even happens. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. And then teleports away. 
Which is something that's been speculated Adam has been able to do at times, because I'm thinking of that one issue in Strange Tales, I think, when he first meets Pip, where he goes, he's on the spaceship fighting the uh, Universal Church of Truth. Mm-hmm. And he kind of like, it's like just a whole like silent page or two, double, you know, page or two of him just like appearing in random places and taking people out. Right. So even though he doesn't make a habit of teleporting, we think he can. Exactly. Or maybe his teleportation is more limited. You know, kind of like how Nightcrawler can only turn, you know, when Nightcrawler's in the dark, he, he kind of blends with it. Right. But he can't blend all the time. Because it does say she's she was made to be stronger than him. So if he's able to maybe teleport in like darkness and, you know, darkness and solitude, maybe she's able to just do it whenever she wants. Well, Nightcrawler can't do it all the time because writers forget he can do that. Yeah. Or he can't do it at the time and they forget he can't and they let him do it all the time, too. <laughs> <laughs> like many superpowers, it's there. a lot of times they're plot-based. Yep. But yeah, Adam's down and Pip the Troll, who, as we all know, is a qualified doctor. <laughs> <laughs> he is, after all, Dr. Pip. I mean, I think Pip the Troll is the best one to say the, I think they might be dead. Because it's like, if anyone believes it, it's like, it's Pip the Troll. What does he know? Right. But that was it for issue one. Nice quick intro. I mean, like you said on Twitter, it is a quick read. Yeah. And uh, second issue, to me, harkens back to the beginning of the Starlin run, where he wakes up on a moon. And has no idea what he's doing there or how he got there. But instead of being chased by a random woman who's looking for a savior, his uh, his forehead explodes and spills out yeah, the green soul plus. gem world. Yeah, that hasn't which, happened to me since uh, since puberty. Right? That's all I could think of. It's like popping a, pop the zit and like, oh my God, how much is in there? Right. <laughs> Ew, gross. I just have a problem with his even being able to do this. Like, it's not till later in the issue that we see what happens to him, but he goes into the Soul Gems world that we were introduced to as existing inside the Soul Gem. Yes. That is gone. That he no longer has access to. Well, I'm guessing, I mean... Just because it's gone doesn't mean he couldn't have been pulled into it before it left. I mean, as this, I mean, we did they did establish. Now, I don't know if it's changed. I forget if any, it's been. I forget about the stuff that happened since like Infinity Gauntlet and stuff. But I do remember back in the old Warlock series when he tried to take the gem off, he almost died because so much of his soul was connected to it. Okay. So if that still holds when she takes the gem away, and you know, and when she blasted him and took the gem, I mean. That might have sucked his soul in there. Okay. I mean, that might have been her plan. It's like, okay, great. Uh, let's just make sure he's not a problem anymore. Zap him in the soul world? Okay, done. I mean, well, it's not like the other read. people don't have access to... Like, other people show up in the soul world, and they weren't touching the soul gem either. But usually it's because the soul gem ate them. And I guess, like you said, it has eaten enough of him that that's where he goes. Yeah. But either way, they're trying to figure out what, you know, everyone left behind is trying to figure out what to do. Pip has a great idea. Gamora, use your time gem. 
go back in time and make all of this not happen. Like that character from Blood Syndicate, flashback. She could just go back three seconds anytime she wants to and do something different for the last three seconds, which, you know, saves people's lives sometimes. Yeah, and Gamora has the time gem. Okay. She can do more than three seconds. Yeah. But and it was a, this is something I do remember from the Infinity Watch series. She very out of all the people with the gems, she very rarely used it. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. They kind of they kind of established back then. I remember that that it was like that was very tricky to use without other gems being involved. She wanted to conserve its energy for whenever Doctor Strange used it in Infinity War. Yeah. <laughs> That's like no, mm-hmm. we have a Not plot reason for this one. Right. And speaking of Doctor Strange, that's where they go. Well, first, Pip makes me uncomfortable. Well, because he reaches down in general somewhere. We don't know where he's only wearing a really dirty, ugly cloth and pulls out his space gem. Oh, yeah. No, that that's it. Do you want to know? That's actually used a couple times in the Infinity Watch run about where he puts the gem and people are like, don't ask. Do you want to yeah, know I'm where it's sure I know where it is. If it's not a gross place, if it's something else, I'll take it. It's between his toes. Oh, well then he needs to lean over more. Or is he hiking up his foot there? He's probably hiking up the foot. Okay. Well, yeah. That's... They've done, this is a gag that was done a few times to kind of make you wonder where is he hiding? It's like, don't ask. And to be fair, it's Pip the troll. Between the toes is probably pretty gross as well. Yeah, but nothing's as gross as certain other things. I mean, there's a whole issue I remember from, I think it was Infinity Crusade, where basically before the big battle, when everything's old people all together, a group of heroes get together to force him to take a bath. (laughs) So, you know, even between the toes, I'm going to assume pretty gross. Pretty gross. But yeah, they head to Doctor Strange, to the Sanctum Sanctorum. Why do they call it that? I don't know, but it sounds cool, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what it means, right? I have. It's basically the the, uh, Jewish, the Jewish Christian phrase, holy of holies, in Latin. Oh, there we go. But yeah, and it's, of course, you know, they go Doctor Strange. We got a nice little, you know, last page appearance of Doctor Strange. Just floating in the air as he does. Because who needs chairs when you're Doctor Strange? No. In fact, there was that one time where he had Wong remove all of the chairs from the house because he no longer needed them because he could float. And Wong was carrying out the last chair thinking, where am I going to sit now? I don't know if that happened, but it did. Who do you blame in that one? I mean, who's who's not thinking right? Is it Doctor Strange for not being considerate of Wong, or is it Wong not even thinking? Well, wait a minute, hold on, I gotta sit somewhere. No, Wong is definitely very aware that Doctor Strange is making him take out his own last seating place, but he also has to follow his master's orders. So, what are you gonna do? Doctor Dick is more like it for regular. <laughs> but anyway, so we back to Eve with her. I like how they didn't waste too much time with the mysterious who is the creator of Eve. You know, we got a page or so of it, but then High Evolutionary pops out. It's like, of course, it's the High Evolutionary. He has there to is get no mystery in going on whatsoever. It's like, of course, he was probably pissy because he wasn't the one to create an Adam Warlock. 
He didn't create an Adam Warlock, but he did take a, a, a creature and turn it into Adam Warlock. And he yeah. basically does the same thing here with Eve. He takes a creature well, I mean, and he turns it into Eve, Eve Warlock. So. But it, and so it, really? it kind of... Hmm? I created you to herald a new age. Yeah, so I guess he made her in... Did he make her in the cocoon and then FedEx it? Probably. To be fair... Pip probably would have answered the door. It could have been one of the new men knocking on the door, just wearing a cat, a UPS shirt, you know, giant goat man wearing a UPS shirt, you know, package for Adam Warlock. Hey, I'll sign, whatever. Mm-hmm. Would not even have noticed, never would have said a thing. I, I, you know what? It, Pip the Troll does make things very easy a lot of times for plot things because you're like, yeah, Pip probably let that happen. But he didn't say anything. Well, Pip was probably too drunk to remember. <laughs> but this I, I is do really I do Go really on. like the costume that uh, Eve gets because this is not a riff on the modern Adam Warlock costume and by modern I mean of the 1993 Infinity Watch series it is a riff on the Bronze Age Adam Warlock costume this is the costume that he wore as Space Jesus mm-hmm. um, I was about to say something more, about that too you know, yeah yeah, made more complete for her, which is yep. pretty great. With a little bit of the influence of the current one with the black on like the legs and all that, like his. Because mm-hmm. I have to say, this is my this is one I do like this costume on Adam Warlock a lot. This look, like the red, the red boots and like the whole black bodysuit. Otherwise, with the cape. Yeah, I think the black goes well for covering up more of her because Adam Warlock as Space Jesus was pretty uncovered. Um, so giving her, you know, pants and side coverings and everything else is, is, a, is a good move but the the still the the basic triangular shape of the tunic is mm-hmm. a direct riff of, on him and uh he had the he had bracelet manacles that look just like hers only she has like the the sleeves to go with them and everything so and the um, little, it is the little lightning bolt the lightning bolt yes so i very very much enjoy her look yeah, like, like I said before, this the, this one definitely harkens back more to the first half of Adam Warlock's life than, the, you know, the pre-Starlin stuff than the Starlin stuff. Right. Which, which is nice, because, I mean, as we said before, I mean, was it the greatest? No, but there was some there was some pretty good stuff in there, especially like those first four issues of the uh, Warlock run. Well, I mean, actually, the first two Marvel premiere and the, the, the two Warlock issues. Mm-hmm. You know, those, that initial bit was was pretty good. It was just afterwards when they lost it, they didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> yeah, well, I think they would have figured something out if, you know, certain people had decided to do their jobs. Mm. And not just, you know, get high. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what happens. Um, that's the 70s. That's the 70s. That's what Marvel was in the 70s and probably some DC too, although we don't hear about it as much on that side. I like that when we get the external Greenwich Village shot, we see Spidey swinging around. You because know what? why not? You know what? In my in my first reading of this, I didn't even catch the Spidey part, and that's a nice little touch considering what we're going to get in about two issues. Yes. And also it's in the rain, and you know that in his own book, Spider-Man is complaining about having to swing through the rain to do something. And he has a cold. Probably is going to get a cold tomorrow because of this, even though that's not exactly how colds work, but you know. Yeah. That's how Spidey's colds work. Mm hmm. That's what happens when you get spider powers. You get colds in the rain. 
Yes. But yeah, Doctor Strange. So Doctor Strange is like, yeah, I can't find uh, any soul. It's all gone. It's just an empty in the soul gem. Yup. So he's like, I gotta go looking. And he basically follows the trail from Adam through the dark dimension. So we get all the mindless ones beating the crap out of each other into Soul World. And Adam's just, you know, chilling on a mountaintop. Or not mountaintop, but, you know, chilling on a cliff. Watching, you know, birds fly around or whatever those little shapes are in the background. Oh, leaves fall. Never mind, he's watching leaves fall. And he's like, Adam, you got to come back. He's like, nope, don't want to. Because Adam always has a quite a bit of a death wish. You know, he's always ready to go, okay, I'm done, cool. And when Strange keeps trying to convince him, well, Soul World decides to protect him, apparently, as we get a couple of, uh, we get a couple appearances from people we haven't seen in a little while, including Krator and Captain Autolycus. A very long time. It was kind of cool to see all these guys show up again, but of course, that's what happens in, this, in the, uh, the Soul World, is these guys show up. Oh, and the eyeball guy, too. The eyeball guy. There was one panel I forgot to mention. Um, right before he goes into Adam Warlock and he's floating above him, that is very Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah. The scene where Dan Aykroyd is having the dream about the ghost over him. Yes. Or maybe it's not a dream. I think it is a dream because he, like, falls out of bed. Uh, yeah. Dreaming. But, um, but yeah, that was funny. However, just make sure everybody understands dr strange does not unzip adam warlock to be fair how would that happen anyway i mean we can't see the zippers they're always covered up in the inks but yeah okay because i always wonder how he gets that costume on and off we end with uh krator basically threatening dr strange well not threat he doesn't say anything but he you know kind of yanks him up by the cape it's like oh it's krator again he was fun he was fun. He's a fun monster. He's basically a mad ball. Yeah. Mad ball of arm with little arms. Arms and legs, yep. I mean, slightly more useful than Modox. Yes. Yes. More useful than Mo- Modox. Yeah. Yeah. Modox has T Rex arms. Modox, that guy in that commercial, but you know, pay can't pay the credit card. It's like, I got these tiny little arms I can't reach to put to grab the check. If you're designed only for killing, clap your hands. <laughs> Which one, I guess would be true for T Rex too. Yeah, that's all he does, right? No, um, I was at a uh, I was at a conference on Spider Man, and one of the panels, uh, one of the more ridiculous panels, was on Spider Rex, the the toy that was made and then eventually incorporated as a comics character in a couple of issues. Mm. And uh, he spent a little bit of time talking about why do we talk so much about the um, t-rex i mean it's not even the biggest dinosaur there are much there 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 are several species that are much larger but for there's just this cool factor that settled in about it and everybody gloms onto it but there's no actual like rational explanation which i was like okay true still t-rex is cool yeah that's the whole point i think mm-hmm and so, issue three, where we start off with a bit of a Superman riff. Yes. Now, I tried to find this font online because I have seen it before. And I was going to do some translating, but I couldn't. I didn't search for very long, but I couldn't find it. 
did you happen to do the homework on that? Uh, I was not able to find anything either. Okay. That's fine. I just think it would have been fun to see what they're actually saying. Because when they use fonts like this, it's just a, it's usually just a letter-to-letter correspondence. And usually, not always, they say things that are interesting and actually relevant to the story. Um, sometimes they just have jokes. True. I'm just wondering if basically here we can kind of guess what they're saying if you've read. I mean, I don't know if you have. If you've read anything with Superman, you might be able to guess um, what they're on. saying. Hold on. Which one is he? He's the guy with the S in his shirt. Isn't that Supreme? No, no, no. The guy before Supreme. Oh. I'll have to look him up. He's the, he's the other version of uh, Hyperion. That's who he is, if that helps. The other version of Hyperion. Okay, okay. Yeah. I'll have to look up riffs on Hyperion and on Wikipedia. Characters who are uh, direct copies of Hyperion from Marvel. <laughs> yeah. Um. But I mean, yeah, you can yeah. kind of, you can kind of guess what they're saying if you've read any of the Superman origins. You can kind of guess what Jor-El and Laura are saying here. Yeah, they they put a baby in a rocket, and there's this thing coming from space. It's going to blow up their planet. Uh, turns out though, it's actually Eve, and she's not blowing up the planet. She's going down into the planet and and healing it, and then they don't have to launch their baby into space, and she flies away, and um, and Mr. Burns is excellent. Yes, he does that. He very much is doing Mr. Burns right there. You think afterwards they went to Jor-El and said, okay, maybe you were right. Maybe you were right. But thankfully, random space, you know, space creature came and fixed everything for us. Right. And back to Soul World, Strange has a brief little fight with, you know, the Soul World denizens. Very brief, because, you know, he's just like, okay, Crimson Man's a Sidorak. Everyone stay here. Stay right. out of the way. <laughs> Whenever he actually get, falls into the mouth of a monster, um, he's just like, actually, I'm not in the mouth of that monster. I am here with you, Adam Warlock, and we're having a conversation. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind and of for cool. all of you out there who say it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, I beg to differ right here. Adam and Steve are having a very pleasant conversation in the dark. That is very true. And also, if that's the case, if you're arguing that, well, then, based on this, well, then, okay, then pledge your loyalty to the High Revolutionary, because he's the one that made Eve. Hey, hey. Who would ever want to pledge their loyalty to a lunchbox head? Yeah. It's like, okay, yes, I'll agree with you. It's Adam and Eve as the High Revolutionary intended. Happy? <laughs> And Doctor Strange pops out and Biff's like, well, yeesh, gives a little warning for you to pop up like that, huh? Yeah. Yeah, after he convinces Adam to come back, so Adam he drags Adam back, pulls Adam back to his body. He's like, all right, I got to go deal with this now. The but only I, thing I would, the only com- complaint I would have against this story really so far is one that is very often leveled against stories in the modern era, and that is that everything that's happened so far is half a comic's worth of story. Find the cocoon. Eve pops out. Zaps and runs off. He's in the soul world. Doc Strange goes and helps him. Comes back out. We can do that in half a comic to one comic worth of story. We're two and a half, almost three comics in. And it's fine because we got, you know, emotional beats and and conversation and everything. It's just everything is... there. There's 
there's not a lot going on in these five issues for five issues worth of story. Yeah, it could have been at least a four issue mini. Yeah. Very easily. Like if everything they did so far is one issue and then going after Eve is and then and, and the stuff that develops with her and the high evolutionary at the end is the second issue, that I don't think it would have felt too fast. Yeah. I can agree with you there. I mean, I was just happy to have a Warlock books to buy, but yeah, I can agree with you there. Yeah. Yeah. And I paid for these. I bought them online. Very nice. Because new comics. Yep. I, I always pre- pay for my new comics. Yep. I pre order from my store. You're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders vigilante podcast. Is an exploration of the DC Comics character, the first superhero to use the name of the vigilante. First published in Action Comics 42 in September 1941, amid comics' golden age and carried as a continuous feature, during those years the vigilante was also a member of the Seven Soldiers of Victory and was one of the first DC heroes to appear on the cinema screen in his own serial. Reappearing in the Bronze Age, the vigilante had a 1970s renaissance throughout the DC universe. Greg Saunders, the Prairie Troubadour, leads a double life as a modern country and western musician, while also delivering justice throughout North America as a mass crime fighter, using the tactics and weapons of his rural Wyoming upbringing. With his friends Billy Gunn and Stuff Leong, many a nefarious scheme was foiled with six guns, ingenuity, a motorcycle, and a twirling lariat. Howdy, I'm Ranger Gord. Help me follow the trail of the vigilante on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. I actually, um, I actually am subscribed to two new comics. It's kind of crazy because I've never been subscribed to new comics for like seven years now. But um, they're both from Image. There's um, the new Transformers series. I'll be in the first issue when it drops next week. And um, I don't know if I told you or if you saw it online, but okay. Back when I was doing Amazing Spider-Man Classics, uh, one of the people who wrote in was this kid like 11 years old. And a few years ago, he messaged me and Josh and Don and said, Hey, I listened to y'all when I was a kid. And, um, I was in a comic book store and I ran into another guy who also listened to y'all. And we bonded over the fact that we listened to amazing Spider-Man classics and became best friends ever since. And that those two guys as a writer artist pair just published the first issue of their image comic series, Kill Your Darlings. What was it called and, again? Uh, Kill Your Darlings. Oh, I remember seeing it the thing about that. Yeah. Fantastic little horror comic. So if you don't like blood and creepy, then it's not your thing. But it was pretty amazing. And uh, I'm eager to see where the story is going to go with issue two. So I'm subscribed to that. I'm subscribed to the new Transformers series. I am pretty sure that. I had that on my list of books I was interested in, but I had to cut because of budget. But I, I left it on the list because I want to keep an eye out for trade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. hunt it down. It'll probably read very well in the trade. Uh, there's a mystery that's playing out. And so, the you know, waiting for the mystery to play out is going to be the, the appeal of the issues. But getting all of that in one chunk in the trade will also probably be good. Yeah. Are you doing them physical issues or are these digital? Digital. I don't have storage space for physical. Yeah, no, that's that's one of the reasons why I'm trying to cut things down to trade, you know, if I'm buying them trade wise because or digital because yeah, 
I have to keep my physical issues down because, yeah, space. Space, the final frontier. And speaking of space and Pip. Oh, see, it all circles back. They go in the space gem. Bloop. Yep. Yeah, Adam feels he has to, this is a personal thing he has to deal with. Although Pip has to go with him because it's like, yeah, you're the one, like, I'm the one who has the transportation. I'm the bus. That's my job. They pop out and find her on some four random planet doing, I don't know what she's doing. Watching uh, confetti? Could be. I mean, it's kind of just a weird background thing, but it's kind of like makes you really wonder, what is this planet? Looks like a ticker tape parade happening. It's a remote world. Those could be jelly strands or tentacles. Um, I don't know, actually. The sort of non-world aspects feel Ditko-inspired, but it's not really a design that feels like it would be Ditko, you know? Yeah. No, I agree. It It doesn't look like Ditko visually, but feels like somebody Ditko conceptually. Or at least influenced by, maybe. Yeah. But Adam tries to convince her. It's like, yes, I understand someone created you, but you don't have to just do what you, you know, whoever creates you says you have to do. But see, the thing is, is that he came to that understanding of his own volition through his own experiences. And he's trying to force her to the same conclusions. And that's not the way you do things. And I feel like her comment um, bridging from page the second to third page of the remote world scene, your touch is neither asked for nor wanted. I feel like is, is a rep- for one is a great moment in itself because you don't touch someone, especially a woman without, you know, consent. But um, it's also kind of representative of, of, of Adam's entire message here. Now mm. I realize that he's the good guy and she's the bad guy and he's going to try to convince her not to be the bad guy. But also whenever he was doing everything the high evolutionary wanted, that was the point of the book. And so far, all she's done is help planets. True. So Although he does not know that part. All he knows is yeah. that she showed up, beat him up and took his stuff. So really all he has on his side is ego because she has said she's better than he is and he wants to stop her. So that's not really the best motivation here. Oh, she did beat him up. Well, well, and took the, and took the gem. Okay. She did take the gem. She did take his things. And which he wants is, them which back. as far as we know, does have part of him. Cause he even says part of me is missing. Right now. And that's a legitimate, that's a legitimate complaint. But yes, but he does, she did use it to help, and he does not know, to be fair, he does not know that. So, I mean, she did use it to help. So far, she's not doing anything bad. Yeah, she has not done anything um, objectively wrong. She's just stepped on Adam's toes. Yeah. I mean, this and one, then they I, disappear. Yeah. Yeah, they fight, they kind of blast each other, and then they just kind of zap away, bash away. And once again, Pip's like, what the hell's going on? Yeah. He has not read the book yet. He does not know what's going on. They basically Superman doomsdayed each other, but instead of both dying, they both blipped. Yeah. Yeah, basically, you're right. And they go bye-bye. Because Superman never kills except for all the times he does. Except for when he does. Right. And we so we go to issue four. Where we come, we open up to see, after the cliffhanger of last issue, we see a sandwich. 
Yes. Spider-Man and Daredevil having sandwiches on a rooftop cornice by a gargoyle. And this was a delightful scene. Nothing to do whatsoever with the plot. It's one of those start a distance from the plot, see the plot happening from a ways away, and then move into the plot. So we basically are getting a scene with Spider-Man and Daredevil hanging out because that's just a, a this is just a New York character scene, but in Marvel, New York. And we yeah. happen to see the Greenwich Village energy explosions from a distance, and then we go there after we finish the scene. Yeah, they have a little discussion about whether the Kingpin is Spidey's villain or Daredevil's. Yes. <laughs> Which, you know, fair point. By 1993, I'm pretty sure we'd all agree that Daredevil was firmly, I'm sorry, that Kingpin was firmly in Daredevil's camp. Yes. Um, but I was just talking about my co-host on the Ninjas and Bots podcast covering the IDW comic series, Transformers and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. My co-host over there, Lane, about this very thing where Kingpin makes the transition from being more of a Spider-Man villain to being more of a Daredevil villain. Yeah, and as you know, Daredevil says, like, look, you got all the cool ones. I got, you know, Stilt Man. I have derided Stilt Man in the past. When I was doing Make Ours Marvel, I kind of got a kick out of the... I feel like the reason he was created was to give the artist a chance to do cool visuals with Daredevil swinging around at this giant stilted man. And Gene Colan definitely dug into that and, and, and played with it. So in that sense, he was cool, but as a concept, eh. Yeah. Yeah. Stilt man's not meant to be fighting people. Stilt man's just meant to rob stuff and run away. Run away very dramatically. Yes. Like a giraffe. Probably kind of slowly too. Because you got to be careful when your legs are that long. I mean, I would imagine, you know, very easy to tip over. Right. And then that would hurt. Drafts have the benefit of four of them, so they have more stability. But yeah, they see the light show of Pip, you know, when Pip teleports back. They're like, should we help? It's like, no, it's Doctor Strange. He, he, if he needs help, he calls. Otherwise, you know, yeah, I don't want to get, I don't want to turn into a potted plant. Want to get some coffee? Right. I know this great diner. I mean, there's the there's the famous Spider-Man Doctor Strange team up annual, the second Spider-Man annual from 1964, five maybe 65, and um, Spider-Man is completely out of his element when fighting with uh, Doctor Strange's bad guys in that. And I know he's had more teams with Doctor Strange since because you know it's been 60 years, but I feel like that complete inability to stand up against magic is a big deal. Very scary to Spider-Man. Yeah, I can imagine for these two guys, it's like, yeah, look, if he really needs help, we'll help. But otherwise, if he doesn't say anything, we're going to go get, yeah, we're going to get coffee. He wants to go home and switch Mary Jane when he's not here. That's probably a better use of our time anyway. So Pip comes back and tries to explain what happened. But he can't really explain. And so we go back to the soul world where a very cute purple deer made of jelly gets interrupted by a quackoon. Take a drink. As they show back up, as both Adam and Eve are in the world and continue their fun fight. Fight, but punch, punch, hit, zap each other. And once again, she beats his ass because, well, she is more powerful than him. It's been established. Plus, he is now mm-hmm. weakened as well without the soul gem. So, And then we get the, um, the callback to his crucifixion back in uh, Warlock. No, it's in the Incredible Hulk issues that sequeled off of Warlock. Yes. Um, 
Only there, it's like metaphor and subtext, very obvious subtext. Here, oh, it's we're... direct text. Yeah. Because... Well, I don't know. Was he... it subtext back then, or was it also pretty direct? Well, I don't know how much he quoted the Bible in Incredible Hulk, which is what he does here. I, I think he does yell about why... I'm pretty sure he does ask the high evolutionary why he forsake him. Forsake okay. Him. Well, that would that would be it then. But yeah, they I know not what they do. It is finished. He conks his head. I do remember saying something about the fact that they took subtext out back and beat it to death with a hammer in that issue. <laughs> so whether it was intended to be subtext or not, it was pretty much text. Well, in any case, it continues to be blatant here. That, um, But it's also kind of purposeless. Um she says, I expect you to be a sacrifice. What is he sacrificing to or for? Like, what does she gain from his death? I think Seems she's, like nothing. Well, I think she's just taking whatever power or energy he has, because that's why he looks all desiccated. I mean, he looks like zombie warlock here. Okay, so you think she just leached what he had left off of him? Yeah. That's kind of what I'm getting out of this, is that she leached what was left out of him and says, like, all right, that's, you know, you are completely, you know, replaced. You know, I'm not just a new version of you. I am replacing you in the fact of you are now obsolete and need to be recalled. And we also get a little bit more of it being obvious, this obvious allegory or whatever you want to call it, when we find out it had been three days. And he comes back now. Yes, three days that they were looking for him in Soul World. And yeah, that just continues to like really put the finger on the nose. Yeah. I mean, on the other hand, on the one hand, yes, like you said, it is dumb very obviously. On the other hand, it was pretty dumb pretty obviously back then too. So if you're if you're calling back to those stories, make it you know, it's it's appropriate, I think, to make it as obvious as possible. Mm-hmm. But he decides not to well, he's gonna quit. He he's basically like you know what she uh, she can have it she can have the job, and uh, they're like no no we need you to keep going on. I mean let's let's remember this is in the middle of Warlock and the Infinity Watch. They have a mission statement. They have a reason for existing. They must continue. They are safeguarding the gems against people reuniting them on the Infinity Gauntlet. We have so, an ongoing series. Damn it! We need to have a. If you're gone, we get canceled. <laughs> I do like the little bit of you know when he says he's too weak and Gamora's like you're weak in the Magus you were weak in the Thanos he's like uh, I want to remind you Thanos killed me yes yes he did <laughs> and then Pip's like yeah me too but I got better <laughs> <laughs> so he goes after Eve and they punch 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 fight 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 some more and she takes his feathery staff. And he's like, oh, no, I can't scratch my back anymore. But all of the energies that she starts firing at him, she starts using the staff and the soul gem. And I don't know if it's some alchemy of the combination of those two, but now he's no longer hurt from her blasts. He is now able to feed off of her blasts. And I do think it's the fact that she's using the staff with the gem because it's, the last time he is hurt by the gem is before she has the staff and then she picks it up. Yeah. And once she's using, they don't ever say anything about it. There's nothing in the script. I'm totally inferring here. 
But once she picks it up, he's um. It, it's also possible that he's actually finally deciding to fight back, and you basically am trying to absorb the energies instead of just letting him. You know, because he has those energies too. So they're very so something simple. conscious and voluntary in him. He's able to flip a switch, and it becomes input, not feedback. Yeah, because like I said before, he does always have a bit of a death wish a lot of times. So, I mean, if she's ready to show up and, you know, take his place, you know, she's not being Thanos where she's like, I'm here to kill you and destroy the universe. Fine, I got to stop that. You know, I am the evil version of you, the Magus, and I am going to, you know, create this, you know, horrible church and, you know, kill all these things that are not, don't look like me just because they're different. Fine, I got to stop you. I'm here to be, I'm a better version than you. I'm here to do your job. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) You know, it takes Gamora to make him like, okay. Because they don't really have a romance, but there definitely is a bond between him and Gamora. Yes. It's a nice, wholesome bond. Yeah. And he is able to win and get his gem back. And then he's like, now what to do with Eve Warlock? But beforehand, he is shot in the back by the high evolutionary using a big old 90s style gun. Yeah. With those, one of those vertical rectangle barrels. Mm-hmm. With a lot it's of like, Kirby how crackle. Does, how does that even work? Cable has a lot of those, a lot of those vertical rectangle guns. Yeah. Uh, it worked with 90s tech. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like this. Never let yeah. me said the high evolutionary is unwilling to simply start over. It's like, no, no one ever says that you're always willing to start over. Yeah. Yeah, you are. Because you're always taken out at the end of every story, so you have to, like, you know, revamp and regroup. So you wanted to do the entire Warlock run you were in. Can I start over with this Earth and destroy it? No. Please? No. Can I just Noah flood the whole thing? But he does have Adam and Eve both on the ground, um, taken out. And so we go into our final chapter. Yes. And this is basically how you make an android. Dr. Roger Corby is explaining. Mm -hmm. Um, He has Kirk on one side and the green silly putty on the other. He's about to spin the table. Spin, spin, spin. This is the the exact same shot. Really? (laughs) Yeah. And see, this is kind of what I was, this is also what made me wonder if that's what she was doing was absorbing his stuff when it made him desiccated. Because that's basically what the high evolutionary is attempting to do artificially. Is have him, have her absorb everything from him. Because once again, he ends up looking all desiccated. Mm-hmm. He's not actually starting over, though. He is feeding her with his energies. He says he's going to start over at the end of issue four, and since both of them are taken out, it seems like he's going to start all over. But that line sort of loses meaning in the context of this. Of course, he also just have a change of mind. It's like, eh, I've already got her. Might as well use what I got here. Yeah, and he also could be talking about Adam, starting over from Adam. Even though he didn't have nothing to do with Adam. But, you know, the high evolutionary is that kind of guy who's like, I'm just going to, you know, he'll land on a place like, I'm going to start over. It's like, what do you mean start over? You didn't do anything here. Yeah, but I'm going to start it all over anyway. You're all dead. I'm going to start you all over. But he tells her to take the gem and she decides not to. I'm wondering if it has to do with this conversation she has with him here. Where Adam was like, you know, Adam tried initially, whether in a right way or wrong way, tried to reach out to her. 
And Hobusher is like, yeah, no, we're not going to be as weak as him and talk. We're just going to take what we want. Okay, so it doesn't have to be read this way, but I feel like it could be read this way. Okay. She is completely opposed to anything that we, with our protagonist on the cover, would want her to do until she finally gets a little bit of Adam in her brain. So, like, just as herself, just as her own person, her own agency, she can't come to this conclusion herself. She's got to have a little bit of the man put in her brain before she's able to think straight. And I'm not Mm. saying it has to be read that way, but but it it is a read, and it's not a great read. True. And that is, I mean, that is a possible way to read it. I'm not going to, I definitely could see how it could be sewn there. Although, I mean, she did kind of absorb a lot of him before and did not want to uh, help him then. So you think it's the the fact that he reached out to her is what's making more of a difference? I think it's not so much he reached out to her. I think it's seeing the difference. I think it's seeing in play the difference of, Adam Warlock's version of doing things and the high evolutionary. Yeah. Where the high evolutionary is basically, I'm going to take what I want and that's it. When she wakes up, she says she feels different. And now is the first time she displays any willingness to, to go against her programming. So I think it's just a little bit weird, but there is that though. There is that, that does go with your, that does kind of that little bit. I will say definitely will go towards your end of it. Your, you know, not your end, but you know, your, your read. It's a, Right. But I can't. I like High Evolutionary's line that I made you as powerful as you can be, but not as powerful as I can be. Because, of course, he would. Because he always wants to have a way to destroy anything he creates. And I think, yeah. I mean, what also helps, at least, at least helps keep convincing her to stay on this side. Whether, you know, I'm not saying this is what's going to keep, you know, was what kept, changed her, because obviously Adam was unconscious. But what helps keep her probably is the fact that. Adam never tried to destroy her. All she did was tell the high I don't agree with you. And he's like, well, then I guess you got to die. And it's like, you're a jerk. Yes, definitely a jerk. There was something in here. Maybe I didn't get to it yet. Oh, well. They kiss. Yeah, which which was a little weird. She gives him his power. Yeah, that's weird. I don't know. Perhaps I'm being too critical here at the end. The, there are there are some very old tropes being used for the resolution of this story, but it's also Jim Starlin. He's what eighty five at this point. So it's not Jim Starlin. Oh, that's right. This is Ron Mars. Ron but Mars he's and also, Ron Lane. yeah, they're also not exactly young writers. So I yeah. Don't know. But yeah, she could have just zapped him to give him back his power. Right. Laid her hand on his chest. Put the birdie up to his head. Something. Yeah. You know, any of those things. How did he get the gem back? Did she give it to him? He took, no, it, he back. took it last issue. He took it. He back. took it last issue, and she—that's what—that's what she said no to about taking the gem back from him. But there is something funny about the high evolutionary basically say, uh, "Damn it, I forget what it was." Oh well, it doesn't matter. Then I lost it. I had a note about something, but I forgot where it was. So, oh well. <laughs> but yeah, they go to fight them together now because they're now back at their full power, and the high evolutionary is like. All right, maybe I can't defeat both of you. I'm out. Mm-hmm. And leaves. And she's not happy with him, so 
he, she's invited to stay, but decides not to, mostly because she's not in that rest of the Infinity Watch run, and that would be very weird. We have to now go cut out pictures of her and put them in the, you know, if she joined, we would have to go cut out pictures of her and put it in all our back issues. <laughs> Just flipping through, Gamora and Pipper there, they help out, or they want to help out. He's like, no, 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 don't, because Adam and Eve just use their power and she's using she's using the the staff yes while he uses the 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 mind uh, yeah soul gem gem. and then they bloop away and i do feel like she is flying off to do something in 2023 or 24 that'd be nice if you're gonna go through this whole effort to create this new character hopefully there's a you know they're not just going to vanish forever. No, I feel like you do something like a rebirth series to give yourself new stuff to play with. Yeah. It's also weird that Adam Warlock is actually not reborn at all in this. He comes out of this exactly the same way he went into it because it's slotted into old continuity, but there is a birth here and that is of Eve. Yes. That's true. And that's one of the reasons I thought me I'm thinking of this as like a trilogy thing, because it's it's called Silver Surfer Rebirth, Warlock Rebirth. And then Silver Surfer Rebirth Legacy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's weird that they're sandwiching it with two Silver Surfer series. Um, well, Warlock, from when I saw the first issue, Warlock is a part of it. Oh. As you can see, because as you can see at the end here, Genesville is hanging out for a little while with them. And he sees a little, uh, oh God, what was his name again? Minizilla. 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 And then he gets, Minizilla gets spooked by something in the water and the silver surfer pops out. Yeah, I figured he just took Genesville off to his next series, but it'd be, it, it's cool to know that Adam Warlock's going to be there too. So when does that come out? Uh, issue one's already out. The Sentinel of the Spaceways has taken the son of Captain Marvel, Genis, under his wing. But even the power cosmic can't replace the love of a father. The surfer knows something that might just be able to soothe a broken heart. But is it worth a clash with the Infinity Watch? The creators return to a story from their celebrated run on Silver Surfer, and they're not the only time travelers. Yeah, so it kind of seems like the Silver Surfer legacy was a Silver Surfer series, which had, like, you know, legacy. Because at this point, I guess he's still legacy, legacy in it. This one is a Warlock series of him in it, and the next one, while it's called Silver Surfer, is kind of like a Surfer Warlock series, it looks like it might be, at least from the first issue. Yeah, the first issue might just be a, we're on the island, so let's use the story elements before we go off and do our own thing, or it might be that they're involved the whole thing. I will say, based on what happens at the end, they're at least going to definitely going to be in the second issue. Okay, okay, so you've read it, and you know, okay. All right, well, I guess we'll have to wait till that finishes coming out, and we can talk about it. Oh, yeah, I already have planned in that sometime next year. Already. It won't be over until let's see, what's this September? Like it won't be over until like January. Right, January of the last issue. It's five. Yeah, yep. But it does look like, as of now at least, it looks like it might end up be. It looks like it's going to be a Surfer Warlock series. Okay. So that's kind of like the other reason I say it looks like a you know a trilogy, kind of like okay, first one's a Surfer series, second one's a Warlock, and the last one is them together. It's time for us to cover our feedback, and this time we are talking about feedback for episode 182, History of the Marvel Universe number 4, with guest Peter Rios. And on Facebook, the post about that episode got likes and shares from Joe Sedano, Clinton Robinson, Chris Matthews, Jonathan Schaefer-Hames, and Ruth Sutherland. On Twitter, we got 
or X or whatever it's called. We got likes and reposts. Sure. From Viet Win, Capes and Lunatics Podcast Network, Days of Higher Venture Podcast, Between the Pages Blog, The Daily Rios, Chris Lydon, Doc Strange, GD Milkman, and Dave's Comic Heroes Blog. And on Blue Sky, we got a like and repost from Comics Over Time. Now, if you want to hear more from me, you can hear me, well, for another week or two at least, on the L-E-G-I-O-N-P-O-D cast, and on that show, which you can find on the Legion Subsuit Podcasters feed, links in the show notes, we've been talking about the late 80s, early 90s DC Comics sci-fi series Legion. That is the one with the acronym and logo in it, not Legion of Superheroes. And in fact, we are just about done. As of this recording, we have one more episode to come out. So... Go give it a listen you have it to. There's 160 episodes that you can listen to. That'll keep you busy. Now, if you have anything you want to say to me regarding this episode, or if you just want to be able to hear your name said in this section for your own ego boost, which I perfectly understand and accept, this is how you do it. Email resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. Facebook, just type in Adam Warlock or Thanos in the search box and it'll pop up. Twitter or Blue Sky, just go to at AdamThanosPod. Finally, this show is part of The Collective. The Collective was started by a few like-minded podcasters who wanted to network in the most traditional sense. It has become a repository for ideas, crossovers, and potential guest appearances, and you are going to hear one of the promos for another Collective show right now. Hello, I'm Alan. I'm Rebecca. And if you're listening to this then we recommend that you check out our podcast, the DCAU Podcast, where we watch the original DC animated movies, starting from Batman Mask of Phantasm and continuing on to Justice League, Dark, Apocalypse War, and beyond. And we will cover such heroes as Batman, Superman, The Batman, Wonder Woman, Victorian Steampunk Batman, the Flash Batman Beyond Green Lantern Old Man Batman Martian Manhunter and plenty more versions of Batman Lots and lots and lots of Batman You can find the DCAU podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or anywhere else that you can get podcasts by looking up the DCAU podcast and subscribe today That was it. I mean, like you said, you know, it was a fun little series. Nothing, you know, spect- you know, earth-shaking about it. If Eve comes back, at least we'll have some, you know, there'll be definitely be more relevance if Eve does come back again afterwards at some point. Now, the question is, of course, will it be in current time or will it be just in that that next, this current miniseries that's coming out now, the Silver Surfer Legacy one? Because, I mean, they still have, they can still use her there. Mm-hmm. The question is, what? We don't know yet. But, I mean, she could be an interesting character. I mean, she could definitely be interesting on her own. I'd be, I'd be curious to see more, so I would not mind seeing more of her. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot to do with her yet. She has an origin story, and that's about it. But, you know, she's a cool powerhouse. I'd like to see stuff that makes her more interesting and sets her apart from, say another generic powerhouse on paper. There's a lot to like in her to captain Marvel. 
Okay, so what is it that makes her different from a storytelling perspective from Captain yes. Marvel? And we'll just have to wait and see. And different Obviously, from Captain Warlock. Marvel is very and different from Warlock, right? Yeah, what makes her her own character? Because unfortunately, they keep trying that with her, and I don't know whether it fails or it's just that they only use her a little bit, so by the time someone else takes her, they basically kind of forget that any of that had happened. Mm. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Because, you know, there could be some fun other characters that, you know, be around in the universe, do other right. things, but we don't really use them, doesn't help. Right. Does her have another name? Uh, Kismet. And Aisha as well, I believe. She's had, had a couple different names. I'm just looking on Marvel Reading to see if I can, here's Kismet. See if I can find when she was last used. Oh, does she have like Medusa hair now? That I'm not sure of. Okay. Um, yeah, this is her because she's in lots of quasars. Um, since yeah. her run on Quasar, she was in um, two issues of Fantastic Four, 1998. Okay. Yep, and I remember. Evidently that. not. Evidently not since then. <laughs> that was uh, when Claremont was writing it. It was Claremont. Mm-hmm. I think it was the Claremont and Salvador La Roca on art. So that's a solid 25 years ago. Um, which is probably a good way to go towards explaining why they made a new character instead of using that one again. Yeah. Because it's been 25 years. I mean, they, although it's, it's a little bit ironic because her run on Quasar was it concurrent to the Infinity Watch series. So when she was being used last with any regularity is when Eve Warlock is also being created. So, I mean, they could have just as easily gone back to the Infinity Watch era on Quasar's side and pulled her out and done something new with her. But, you know, you do what you do. You have what you have. You make what you make. Yeah. But, okay, so I guess there's nothing specific. But, yeah, I was just thinking about – I have been thinking when I was reading this about the High Evolutionary. And it's kind of funny that – especially considering when he – where he he's from originally. I mean, the High Evolutionary's member was, like – was always an older character. I mean, he's from like the early, late 1800s, early 1900s originally, you know, when he was Mm -hmm. still human. So it's kind of funny that he's expecting all of his creations to obey him and do what he wants. But if you're going from the time frame he's from, it was a lot more, you know, those, like a lot of places were, you know, there was a lot more uh, adherence to religion. And he's definitely not doing what, he's definitely not following what, you know, quote unquote, his creator, or what most people would assume his creator was, would want. No, really, really not. But it, it's kind—it's of, just kind of funny. Like the whole, it kind of fits. He you is know, very much playing God as a person who is not following the teachings of his cultural God. Exactly. He's not doing for other gods what he wants people to do for him. Yeah, some weird god golden rule there. Yeah, you put it a little better than I would. I did, but yeah, that's. It was just kind of fun. It's kind of fun. It was just kind of a thought I had about him as I'm reading this, as he keeps you know complaining about his creation not obeying. Mm-hmm. I'm like, don't you ever read stories about gods? Is that it? Usually happens. <laughs> it always happens. I mean, let's <laughs> the hell. Let's look at let's look at the obvious story. Um, maybe one that involves a character named Adam and a character named Eve. And they just went against his wishes? Yeah. yeah. Don't touch that thing. Okay. 
Are you looking? No. That look, does look feel familiar. Yeah. But okay. the high visionary never sees past what he wants. He's just kind of, you know, a very self-driven, self-centered guy like that. He only ever comes into a story when he has something he wants to achieve and other people are in his way. That's yeah. just, of course, that's true about a lot of villains, I guess. But his desires are usually like really annoying. Yeah, I mean, the most, the closest I can think to him having like a heroic version or not heroic, but at least benevolent or benign even, I should say, is the old Warlock run. And even there, he wanted to destroy a whole planet and kill everybody, every issue. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the best I've seen of him. <laughs> anyway, that was Warlock Rebirth. Not a perfect series. I think we could agree. Do you feel reborn? Eh, I feel re. <laughs> Yeah, it was all right. Like I said, I had a, I had a few quibbles with the tropes and the resolution, but over and, and and the decompression, those are my only real real knocks against it. It was a fun little story. It felt very much like it could have happened in the '90s where it's taking place. So yes. it had that going for it. Um, modern storytelling sensibilities of a very um, of its creators' original stories time. Which does fit, because, I mean, both those both Ron Mars and Ron Lim were working on Silver Surfer around that time. They, you know, they were working and doing similar type stories, let's say, in the time frame. And since Silver Surfer kept crossing over with all the Infinity crossovers, they were, you know, they were involved with those characters. They used these characters back then as well. Right. But I think we've reached the end, so I think that's it for this time. Now, John, you said something about ninjas and bots. Tell us more. So last time um, I was on here, I had a podcast going called Superman in Crisis, which I have wrapped. So if you are interested to know how the last 18 months of pre-Crisis Superman uh, went during the story Crisis on Infinite Earths and the six months that came afterward until uh, he was relaunched in um, July of 1986, uh, go check out Superman in Crisis. Now that that has ended, I am podcasting with a friend of mine named Lane, and she and I are taking an alternating um, week's look at the IDW comic book series of Transformers and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It comes out every Saturday morning, just like the cartoons when we were kids. And um, one week we talk about an issue of the Transformers, and one week we talk about an issue of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Each of us has... Um, a specialization. So she knows more about the turtle series than I do. And I know more about the transformer series than she does. So it's, it's kind of fun to play in wheelhouses where each of us knows a little bit more than the other and taking turns with that. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun. There are five episodes out right now. Uh, when this comes out, there'll probably be one or two more. And um, yeah, it's at johnreadscomics.com. There's no H and .com. And, um, or on your favorite podcatcher. And if it's not on your favorite podcatcher, drop me a line at johnreadscomics.com and say, hey, it's not on this. And I'll see if I can submit it out there. Links in the show notes for both the show and how to contact John. Yeah, I'm on Twitter, John Reads Comics. Well, not Twitter. But my laptop is about to die, so I'm saying goodbye. All right. <laughs> Well, that's all for this week, guys. We'll be back next time with something. And if this is coming out what I think it is, unfortunately, that something might evolve Mephisto. <sighs>
Speaking of jerks. Speaking of jerks, rat bastard. All right. Well, until he shows up because we said his name, so let's do get up before he does. Bye. Bye, everybody. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page.